Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in to the Hoisty Colors Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo, bringing you a fresh edition of the HTC Pod. We've got a lot to discuss. ECU baseball grinds out a series win at Cincinnati to complete a 2-2 two two week after the midweek loss at NC State. We'll touch on the, the weekend series win at Cincinnati. Got a lot of your questions to get to in regards to football, basketball, recruiting, baseball, all that stuff. And also, East Carolina has picked up a big commitment in the form of a transfer portal addition in Isaiah Winstead. We will talk briefly about what the Pirates are getting in Winstead here in a moment. First off, just wanted to say we will have a fresh edition of our Port of Call segment later on this week. We had somebody lined up to come on the show today, but it fell through at the last minute, so we'll get that uh, going later this week. In the meantime... Let's dive into this transfer news. Let's not waste any time. The Pirates have long been going after Isaiah Winstead, really since he entered the transfer portal, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, ECU has a clear need at wide receiver, and as I've watched spring practice, it's become apparent this team has a chance to be good, potentially really good. We'll see if they can compete for a conference championship, but I think for sure that the coaching staff feels like with if things break the right way and they stay healthy, they've got a shot to to make a run at it, uh, especially given some of the key games at home. But in order to do that, you needed some help at receiver. I mean, the O-line's coming along, tight ends are set, running backs are set, you've got the quarterback. But the receiver position has left something to be desired this spring. We know C.J. Johnson's still suspended indefinitely. We don't know what his status is going to be long-term, and we'll see if he's back or not. But with Tyler Sneed moving on, with Audio Matosho moving on, ECU needed some sort of proven production that it could count on at the receiver position. And yes, we know that transfers can be hit or miss, but I think this is a pretty safe transfer addition in the form of Isaiah Winstead. He chose ECU over Virginia Tech and Old Dominion. He also considered some other schools that came into the picture late, especially after he announced his top three and that a decision was upcoming. It sounded like a number of schools wanted him to come visit, delay his decision, but Isaiah Winstead wanted to go ahead and make that choice. And so what the Pirates are getting here is a proven receiver. And there are, you know, some people have asked me, is, is he a number one? You know, is he going to be a guy that just catches three to five passes a game? I think time will tell if he will end up being a true number one, like a, a thousand yard caliber receiver that, you know, to me, that is a true number one, a guy who goes out there week in and week out, most likely going to have 75 or more yards, handful of catches, 
you know, Isaiah Winstead has never been that guy over the fourth of, over the course of a full season, but he's shown flashes that he can be that. And I talked to Isaiah about this coming off his ECU visit, and he kind of told me one of the things that was most attractive about ECU was that, hey, if I go to East Carolina, I'm stepping into the ideal situation, a situation I've never really been in, where they have the set quarterback in the O-line, and really I can go in, not have to – you know, maybe make plays in more of a run-based offense or an offense that he's not the featured target in. And it sounds like one of the biggest appeals of ECU was, hey, I can go there for my final year of eligibility, really showcase what I'm all about. And he realizes he's not going to be handed anything, but that's also why he worked out multiple times on his own during his official visit to ECU. Usually guys come in, they take their visit, they have a good time, they enjoy it. Very rarely are they in the gym working out on their own. Well, that's what Isaiah Winstead did. Both nights he was in Greenville. So um, clearly the guy's motivated, and he's produced every single year of his career. I think his average production, something along the lines of you know, 35 catches for 550 yards. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I wrote about this in VIP on the other day on Hoist the Colors. But even if he has an average year by his standards, you know, he's going to rank – second or third on the team in receiving yards and receptions and so you're getting proven production there as long as he's healthy but the ability to potentially ascend to the next level to be the number one guy I mean we're talking about a receiver who's 6'3 215 you know is he a burner in terms of speed probably not but he's a guy who can out physical you he can high point the football he can make a one-handed catches he's got really good hands he graded out elite in downfield targets beyond 20 yards the last two years via pro football focus. We know that that's been a big aspect of C.J. Johnson's game in this offense. Well, if he's unable to come back, or if he is able to come back, I still see Winstead being you know, potentially the number one guy on the perimeter in terms of getting those jump ball opportunities going forward. I think C.J., after a really good freshman year in that category, kind of fell off the last few seasons in terms of consistency, in terms of getting separation, making the catch, finishing the play, even though he still did draw a number of pass interference calls. But with the addition of Winstead, if you get that one-on-one coverage, if you're holding Nailers, if they're shading the safety to the inside to cover Ryan Jones or, or Josiah Hatfield or whoever, now you've got that one-on-one matchup on the perimeter you like. So crucial addition at a position of need. You know, we've seen flashes in the past and this spring with some of the receivers on the roster, but just no real proven production. Again, if C.J. Johnson is not back, your most proven receiver is Josiah Hatfield, who, again, has showcased big-time speed, big-time playmaking ability in the past, but, you know, quite frankly, has never been consistent in terms of going out week in and week out, making catches, and he's shown big play potential, but, you know, just a guy that has never consistently got it done. So, yeah, Hatfield's got potential. Yeah, there's a potential that C.J. Johnson has, could come back. There's a potential that several of these young receivers on the roster, Kerry King, Taji Hudson, uh, Brock Spalding, um, you know, could go on and on, Troy Lewis, Jari Patterson, Macy O'Donnell. All these guys could end up developing in the players for the Pirates, but none of them have to this point, and they'll get their opportunity in the season. You know, Tyler Savage, another name that's, that's shown – potential as a hybrid receiver tied in this spring but you just need some proven production to count on I mean it, it makes you feel better if you're a fan if you're a coaching staff uh, going into the season because now you kind of have that proven production everywhere and you know the, the other thing is they brought in Jalen Johnson from Georgia another receiver transfer who we had a, a podcast on earlier this winter and Johnson had a really good first week of practice and then he 
uh, got injured and has been out since then. So, you know, Jalen Johnson seemed to be acclimating pretty good. He's got two years of eligibility left. So now you've added two receiver transfers, and I'm hearing you may even add another. Duke wide receiver transfer uh, Jarrett Garner has also visited and picked up an offer. He's got two or three years of eligibility remaining as well. He's another 6'3 target. And so I, I feel like they're they're pretty confident in what they have in the slot with Kerry King, a walk-on who's come a long way, uh, will probably contribute this year. Macy O'Donnell has missed most of the spring, but I think he will be a contributor. He was Tyler Sneed's top back up the last few seasons. You know, Jalen Johnson's a guy who can move in and play the slot. Tyler Savage, who I talked about, has been playing some in the slot. Jari Patterson's got a lot of ability. So I think they got enough options in the slot. And I think if they want to add another perimeter receiver, Garner could fit that guy. You know, they did welcome in James Burns, who's another name to keep an eye on. Miami of Ohio transfer right now does not look like uh, he, he's the perfect fit for ECU, but they're still kind of monitoring that situation. We'll see how that transpires in the coming weeks. So I still could see another addition at receiver, whether it be James Burns, Jarrett Garner from Duke, who's got familiarity clearly with Raekwon Boyette, the new receivers coach. And I think that you're still going to see another potential receiver added here, even beyond Isaiah Winstead. But this is a, this is a crucial pickup. Big, tall, physical receiver, motivated receiver. Again, has proven he can get it done at this level. Succeeded for two years at North, Norfolk State transferred to Toledo where he succeeded for two two years and that 2020 season at Toledo only played in six games but led the Rockets in catches receiving yards and average over 17 yards per catch if you multiply those numbers over the course of a full season if he would have stayed healthy and, and been on pace for that full 2020 campaign he would have been close to a thousand yard number one caliber receiver so again he's shown potential just has never quite done it over the course of a full season the other thing you like here for ECU you're getting a guy who you're familiar with, Latrell Scott, your inside receivers and tight ends coach, was his head coach at Norfolk State. So you know what you're getting personality-wise and talent-wise, and so that will help mesh Isaiah Winstead. So so many of these transfers, you know, the coaches try to do their homework, but you never really know what you're getting until they get to campus. Well, if you've got a guy on staff who's coached for multiple years, you know what you're getting. So that was another reason why Isaiah Winstead was at the top of East Carolina, East Carolina's list. It's another reason why Garner from Duke is a potential fit with Raekwon Boyette coming over from Duke as well. You want to try and minimize the risk with these transfer pickups and having that familiarity, really doing your background definitely helps minimize that risk. So there's a little bit on Isaiah Winstead, and I think for sure as long as he gets in this summer and, and works his tail off, which I have no doubt based on my conversations that uh, he, he will not be or that he, I have no doubt that he will be motivated based on my conversations with him once he gets in. So I think he's a definite starter caliber player right out of the box uh, for the Pirates. So a uh, big pickup there on the recruiting trail, still looking at uh, a defensive player or two, Eldrick Robinson, a transfer from Georgia Southern. He's a linebacker. He was in this weekend for an official visit. We caught up with him for a VIP story on Hoist the Colors, so check that out. If you're a member, he's still got some upcoming visits, but I think ECU sits in a good spot for him, and you can see the Pirates potentially go uh, go on and add a another defensive player or two as well, depending on how things break. So ECU trying his best. We've already talked about the offensive line, how they have dressed that, and they've addressed a few other positions, but if they can add a few defensive playmakers and another receiver, uh, this roster, which is already in good shape, you know, potentially even gets even better to where – 
maybe you think about a potential conference championship run in the fourth year of the Mike Houston era. But a lot to be decided between now and then. All right, let's switch gears real quick before we dive into the uh, to the questions on Twitter. Uh, baseball wins a series at Cincinnati, and I don't know what it is about the Bearcats, but man, they uh, they are a thorn in the side of ECU. And it's not that they win a lot of games against ECU in baseball; it's that they just they always make every game last seemingly four hours. Both teams score a lot of runs, and that's kind of Cincinnati style. You know, you have to realize they play on this turf field. Every ground ball looks like it's a million miles an hour because it it hits this turf and it skips off of it and it just flies through the infield. The ball carries out to right field, um, even on cold days. Usually pretty windy there. It carries out to right. Listen to their announcers, and they can hit. They can hit. They've got uh, they've got several veteran players, including the preseason player of the year, Paul Comstock, and they were picked to finish third in the conference. They have not lived up to that billing. For one reason, and that's their pitching. Their pitching has been, quite frankly, awful. Um, they entered the series with a five and a half ERA that didn't go down at all this weekend, based on how they pitched against ECU. And they're they're very short on depth in the bullpen, so um, they can hit. They make games last a long time, and that's what we saw this weekend. And it, it was a disappointing start to the weekend as the Pirates lose seven to three on Friday in a game that wasn't really all that close after Jake Kuchmaner. Gave up some runs early, but you, you, you got to credit this team a lot for bouncing back in a big way. I mean, it's been a tough year, and this team still has a lot of flaws, which I'm sure we'll get into with some of the questions. Um, you know, that this ECU had to use 11 pitchers and get 18 hits to, to scratch out a win on Sunday. Now, I give the team a hell of a lot of credit for fighting because the Pirates led 6 to nothing on Sunday and then 9-3. to and at that point, you're thinking, all right, you're going to cruise to a to a uh, series win. You're going to cruise to a Sunday victory. Feel good about yourself going home. Next thing you know, Cliff Goblin is changing pitchers. ECU can't get anybody out. Cincinnati scores seven unanswered runs. It's ten to nine in the fourth or fifth inning. Out, it all runs together in the middle innings. And at that point, you're thinking, man, this is a disastrous loss. I don't know how we come back from this. You know, you can't lose a series to Cincinnati, which is ranked 180th in the RPI to open conference play. This is going to be a disaster. The team has a long trip home. This, this has all the makings of just a, a season-defining loss. Uh, and the, the guys battled back. They took advantage of a, a Cincinnati miscue in the outfield to tie the game. Also, some solid hitting that inning. And then took the lead the next inning. And then on a day where no pitcher seemingly was able to step up, Ben Terwilliger, uh, the transfer from Barry University at the Division II level, ends up throwing a career-high two and two-thirds innings. A shutout ball allows one hit. Um, and also it gets his first career hit in the ECU uniform, almost hit it out to right field at one of the best moments of the weekend as ECU had lost his DH through all the pitching changes earlier. So Sunday ended up being a really entertaining game. And it took forever. It took almost five hours. Um, and I'm I'm sure Cliff Goblin feels like he aged 20 years in that one game, as as do most Pirate fans. But the Pirates ended up pulling it out in the bottom of the ninth. Again, as apropos as it was, it was as interesting as possible in the bottom of the ninth. After Terwilliger allowed the two-out single, 
Godwin chose to go to Bradley Wilson, who was a little-used reliever. Has some talent, but just hasn't been used in a spot like this probably in his career. He gives up a walk, and so that puts runners on first and second. Again, it's a 12-10 game. EC was leading at the time. Comistack, Paul Comistack, the, the preseason player of the year, is coming to the plate. Again, pretty simple baseball rule, at least most people follow it. Never put the tie and run in scoring position. That way, one hit ties the game. Well, Paul Comistack, I think at that point, was 9 of 14 on the weekend or something ridiculous. ECU couldn't get him out. Cliff Galvin chooses to intentionally walk him, not with an open base, but to put him on first and load the bases and to face the backup catcher who had entered earlier in the game due to injury. So Cliff Goblin rolls the dice, but it comes up in a very good manner as the next batter, Wilson, is able to get to pop up in foul territory. Great play by Alec Makarevich near the dugout to clinch the victory on the pop-out. But, man, you know, the margin for error in these games, in a game like that, can seem so small. You know, you look back at the Jacob Starling diving catch in the middle innings. I forget what it is as well. Uh, Lane Hoover threw out a, a runner on the base pass. So you had some crucial defensive plays that you look at the box score and it's a 12-10 to 10 game. You think, well, this must have just been a slugfest and ECU woke up offensively and that's what carried them to victory. And yes, it was. But in order to overcome 11 pitchers being used, uh, you got to have some, some help both offensively and defensively. And uh, that's what ECU did. On Sunday, so they win the game 12 to 10. They start conference play two and one now, 16 and 13 overall. And the Pirates come home this week. We talked about it how crucial it is for ECU to finish near the top of the American, if not at the top, to get in that large bid. Their RPI as of Monday, I think, is at 70 or 71, and probably going to have to get into that top 45 range to get in that large bid. So, some big series coming up for the Pirates this week. They play Old Dominion which is a ranked foe on Tuesday. And then they host Wichita State for a three-game series this weekend inside Clark Clare Stadium. So big weekend coming up for the Pirates. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we will answer your questions. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Alright, welcome back into the Hoisty Colors Podcast. We're going to dive right into these questions so the show doesn't take forever. Alright, Charles on Twitter, he wants to know, when is the deadline to enter the transfer portal? Well, technically speaking, there's no deadline to enter the portal because the portal is always open. I've always said there should be kind of a window for the portal to be open. Uh, I believe, though, there, and I, I know there's a deadline to enter in terms of you have to enter by this date to be eligible for the next season. For football, I want to say it's July 1st. Uh, I don't have it again. Uh, my internet is being buggy right now, so I can't pull it up on Google. It's sometime in the summer to where you have to enter in order to be eligible by the next season. Um, you'll see another wave of transfers for football after spring football, both at ECU probably and across the country as guys who aren't seeing as many spring reps as they want to uh, will try and go somewhere else to play or they're told to move on just because of the roster crunch still as a result of all this COVID mess. You have kind of a trickle down that's going to last a few years. All right, uh, next question comes from Judge Smales, S-M-A-I-L-S. Is that a real name? Um, He just wants to know, background on the receiver from Toledo we kind of covered that earlier judge um you know again I think it's I think it's the biggest transfer addition of the offseason potentially outside of the offensive lineman just based on need and just his overall ability I mean I think if he has the type of season he 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 thinks he can have and ECU thinks he can have I think he could be an NFL player whether it be a draft pick or an undrafted free agent so I think it's a a crucial need but we touched on that in the first segment uh, Ryan wants to know, could you see us being in a situation where we may not have a tournament-worthy resume but still get in based on tradition and name brand? He is asking about baseball. Um, y- yes and no. I think for sure that I-, I think ECU's name holds a lot of weight in baseball. So if they're on the bubble and they've got a comparable resume to another team on the bubble, I think that favors ECU. Now, ECU is not just going to get in because it's East Carolina baseball if they don't have a resume that stacks up versus another at-large team. There has to be an argument for both teams and maybe ECU's resume, having Coach O with some friends on the uh, on the committee, quite frankly, uh, could, help it, could help the Pirates. But I think Either way, the Pirates just have to start winning series in conference play, and they got to start moving to the top of this conference, and they got to start getting some midweek wins. And right now, if the season ended today, I don't think ECU's resume is good enough to get in the postseason, regardless of its name. So, got to uh, got to win some baseball games, and I think somebody else wants to know uh, what would kind of the Brooks wants to know. Yeah, realistically, how many wins does ECU need? to still make the tournament. I say the Pirates have got to get at least to the mid-30s, preferably upper 30s. 36 and 20, I think, gets them in as far as the regular season, then you probably need to win a couple games in the conference tournament. If you start getting into the 20-plus loss territory, that's when you're in trouble, especially with the conference being down. So EC right now 16 and 13. I mean, they would have to go 20 and 7 the rest of the way to reach that mark that's not an easy feat so hopefully the Pirates can go on some sort of winning streak give themselves some margin for error um but we'll see you know that a lot will go into that if some of these conference teams end up improving their RPIs throughout the 
um, throughout the rest of the season. Maybe it becomes less than 36, but I think 36 and 20 or better probably gets you in there, at least has you feeling pretty good about it. Uh, Wesley wants to know basketball recruiting. What is the strategy? How far along in the process is Mike Schwartz? What was he promised when taking the job in the way of funding, et cetera? I don't know what he was promised. Um, I think he feels like he's got enough to win here and to recruit and to recruit here and to develop talent here. Regardless, you know, the strategy as this been explained to me is he, he wants to find the balance between player development and hitting the transfer portal when needed. I don't think he wants to go through the situation every year where you're turning over the roster. You know, Joe Dooley did it a couple of times during his four-year tenure at ECU. I think Mike Schwartz ideally wants to do it once, maybe this offseason, and maybe he can even limit that with some of the returning talent coming back. But I think he wants to get through this offseason, add talent however he can add it. Preferably, he wants to find a balance between adding some long-term help that he can develop and adding some short-term help via the portal or via the JUCO ranks. He's already offered a JUCO kid originally from France. You know, and I've not talked to anybody on staff. I'm still getting to know these guys as they, they, they're running around like with their heads on fire right now trying to figure out what they have. But I do know that Schwartz has been able to work out the team a little bit. And then he's also been all over the country recruiting, as have his assistants, Jake Morton and Riley Davis. And so the initial groundwork is being laid right now. We're starting to see some names pop up that we're following in the ECU basketball recruiting thread. We've seen a couple of high school point guards who are under the radar who, without all this transfer portal stuff where it's so easy to go out and get immediate help, these players probably are being recruited five years ago. But now, with so many teams seeking that immediate help, you can get some guys at the high school level who are really good. The problem is if they end up developing and they want to transfer, they can do that without penalty. So that's the risk you take if you're going to go the high school route. But we also know that Schwartz has reached out to some big men in the portal, uh, preferably that can help athletically in the paint. They would like to have a post presence, a rim protector. So point guard, rim protector, and then also adding a wing who can not only defend but shoot the ball seem to be the three biggest priorities. And that should not come as a surprise because, A, you're losing Tremont Robinson-White, who has been your, um, you know, kind of your steady point guard the last few years. You're losing Tristan Newton, who has played combo guard the last few years and been one of the best assist-to-turnover guys in the league. And you're losing Vance Jackson. And quite frankly, ECU hasn't had a rim protector in a handful of years, dating back to maybe Andre Washington in the Jeff Lebo era. So those are three clear needs. Those are three needs that Mike Schwartz appears to be attacking rather quickly I think he's going to ultimately go for where can I find the best player possible to either run the show offensively at point guard or to be that wing or to be that big but I kind of get the vibe he wants an older player in the paint and then also maybe an older player at wing and then he's looking at some younger point guards although if you can get an older point guard you certainly take that but um, you know you do have Javon Small set to come back You've got some other guys on the roster who can maybe handle the ball a little bit, but he's definitely got to get a point guard either way, that's for sure. So I think we're still learning about Mike Schwartz's recruiting philosophy, but certainly some uh, some tea leaves that we're reading lead us to think uh, those are some of the items that he's working on right now. Uh, Christian Bateman wants to know what non-conference opponents are we looking at playing next season in basketball, anything on the health update of Winston Tabbs. So Winston Tabbs still uh, rehabbing. I've heard things have gone extremely well. Uh, I don't know when he will be 
fully cleared for activity. I would expect ECU to play that extremely, extremely cautiously. We're talking about a guy who has had multiple knee procedures now. Came back last year after a knee procedure. Looked like he was going to be good to go. And then ended up re-injuring himself and, and missing the entire season. So ECU is going to be extremely careful with Winston Tabs as they should. And, you know, he's kind of the, not to go in a whole sidebar here, but if Winston Tabs ends up, and, and this is kind of the wild card, the true X factor of Mike Schwartz's first season, if assuming Winston Tabs stays on the roster, if he ends up being the player that ECU thought he was going to be last year, there goes a lot of the scoring pr- production that Tristan Newton left when he entered the transfer portal. Winston Tabs could conceivably pick up. I mean, I was hearing last preseason that Winston Tabs not only looked good from sources on Joe Dooley's staff, but he looked like the best player on the team, and he was better than what they even thought when they got him from Boston College. Unfortunately, his knee flared up, and then he ended up having to sit out the rest of the season after a procedure. And so we're talking about a guy who's had multiple knee surgeries now. We don't know if he will ever get back to full health. But if he does, or even if he gets half that or 75% of that, the Pirates should have a pretty productive player in Winston Tab. So, But the main takeaway there is they're going to take it extremely cautiously. As far as uh, the non-conference opponents, do not have an update on that at this time. Again, hoping to sit down with Mike Schwartz in the coming days and uh, or coming weeks and really kind of dive into some of these topics that you know, quite frankly, we just don't know a lot about because Joe Dooley and his staff probably set up some of these contracts and the schedule. How much freedom does Schwartz and his group have? Is he getting any help from John Gilbert on the administrator front trying to set up a schedule, trying to set up any home and homes? These are things that I just don't know at this time. And when Mike Schwartz, when things slow down a little bit for him, I'm I'm hoping to get him in depth for a one-on-one on the podcast to bring that to you guys at some point. Destry wants to know how Schwartz work in the portal. Any starting caliber guys got ECU on their short list? Uh, that's another, you know, we just touched on that. I do know that he's reached out to, to Manny Bates from NC State, uh, but Manny's got a ton of recruiting interest. He actually recruited Manny Bates some out of high school when he was on Tennessee, Tennessee staff. Um, there's also a player at LSU, I can't think of the guy's name, that he recruited at Tennessee out of high school that he's also spoken with, another big man. Um, but there, honestly, you see all these reports about so and so players heard from these schools, this school, that school. There hasn't been a lot of reports about East Carolina reaching out to prospects like that. There is a guard um, from Eastern Kentucky who was tied to East Carolina in one of those tweets who, uh, who who can handle the ball a little bit. So again, still trying to figure out who exactly ECU is going after in that realm, and we'll probably start to get some visits here in the coming weeks as well. Uh, Adam McNon says, can we get Ben Terwilliger some more designated hitter at bats? I tell you what, man, that was a, uh, <laughs> that was a hell of a swing by a pitcher in his first career plate appearance at ECU. Now I had heard that he had taken some hacks at Barry and, um, and earlier in his career. And I think he's a capable bat, but you just don't expect a guy who's never faced pitching at this level to get there and smoke one off the wall. He got a slider. And, man, he didn't miss it. Um, so, you know, I, I think ECU's got enough left-handed power hitters to where, yeah, Terwilliger are probably not going to get any more at-bats. But, hell, if you get desperate, now you know that he can he can handle the stick. And, um, man, that was an awesome moment yesterday. It made, quite honestly, 
it made it worth it watching all four hours and 40 plus minutes of that game because I was wanting to claw my eyes out at certain points. But, um, but yeah, that was awesome. Great moment. Second straight year we've had that type of moment with the EC reliever. Matt Bridges with an RBI single last year at Georgia Southern. Now Ben Terwilliger ripping one off the wall. That was cool to see. There's no doubt. All right, a couple more comments and questions here. Tarbera Bill says, would be cool to get Harold Varner the third on the podcast at some point. Yeah, that, that's definitely something I want to work on. HV3, obviously a little busy this week in the Masters. Hopefully that goes as well as possible and hopefully makes a cut, gets to the weekend, and gets to participate on a, a, in the national stage. would be awesome to see him make a run. And I think his game plays pretty well for the Masters, but – We'll see how that transpires. Hoping to get him on it at, at some point. You know, I haven't talked personally to HV3 before. I do have several mutual friends of his. The coolest thing about HV3 is just his passion for the university. I mean, how many guys out there on the tour are gonna are gonna wear their school's colors on Sunday in the final round of whatever tournament they're participating in? I mean, that says a lot about his passion for ECU. He's always coming back to the football games, supporting the baseball and basketball team or whatever athletics teams on social media. And I really would like to have a conversation about that, you know, more so than just the golf aspect of things, just his passion for ECU, what this place means to him. So definitely hoping to get him on at some point. And I'm hoping to get you, Tarbra Bill, on at some point. And you're, you've been one of our longest members on Hoist the Colors. And I always wanted to ask, what motivates you to like and retweet so many tweets. And how do you find the time to do that? So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting you on Tarper Bill. And it's going to happen at some point here in the near future. We also are, are lining up Kiss My Cast to come on the podcast. Is he Rob Cast like so many project? Is he somebody totally unrelated to Rob Cast? What's the meaning behind the name? We'll talk to Kiss My Cast in the next few episodes as well. Um, on the Hoisty Colors podcast once we bring back the, the Port of Call segment. All right, and then we got a final question here. I don't even know if this is really a question, but Mark O wants to know, has our QB been starting for ECU more than eight years? I guess he's trying to say Holt Naylor's has been here a long time. And Mark, the answer to your question is no. Holt Naylor's has not been starting at ECU for more than eight years. He has been... At East Carolina, since the 2018 season, that would be his first season, the final year of the Scotty Montgomery era. This season would mark his fifth season at East Carolina. So he has been starting at ECU since halfway through the 2018 season. That's three and a half years. This will be, technically speaking, his fourth and a half year as the Pirates' starting quarterback. If he finishes the year as the Pirates' starter, he'll have four and a half years as the starter, so five seasons to play at ECU. And I've gotten some debate on, and I would like to hear you guys' take on this. Should there be an asterisk if Holton Aylers breaks all of Shane Cardin's, all the quarterback records in ECU history, which he's on pace to do, based upon him getting the extra year of eligibility? You know, personally, I think, yes, because this COVID situation is so unique that all records broken by players with extra years of eligibility should have an asterisk beside it because I don't think it's technically fair to the players who came before them. And I don't blame Holton or anybody for taking advantage of the, the situation. Um, but I think it should be recognized that way because it's kind of an unfair advantage 
with the extra year of eligibility. Even though 2020 was an awful year, medically and football-wise, just in terms of what those players had to go through with all the testing and all that crap. But, yeah, that's something that we'll see. Hopefully, Holton has a phenomenal year and just shatters all the records and leads ECU to a conference championship, and that way we can have this conversation on the best of terms. So, we'll see there, but plenty of time to discuss that. Plenty of time for dialogue on that in the months ahead. All right, that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. Again, big week for ECU baseball. And we've got our spring game this Saturday. ECU to wrap up spring practice with the Purple Gold game, I believe 1230 kickoff inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium. No, it will not be televised, per my understanding. So come to the game if you want to watch it. Otherwise, we'll have takeaways after the game, maybe in podcast form, but definitely on hoistcolors.net. And we'll have continued practice coverage on Hoist the Colors throughout the remainder of the week. All right, that'll do it for the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.